السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من الشرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلله فلا هادي له ونشهد ولا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد Respected listeners <coughs> We gather once again for the continuing commentary of Surah Al-Hujarat The 49th Surah of the Quran <clears throat> Last week we completed verse number 9 and the follow-on to that verse is verse number 10 which I'll be speaking on today, inshallah. So far we've learnt about the limits that Allah has placed on his creation in respect of Allah himself and his messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam we are to know and recognize those limits and not violate them we are to ensure that we do not make any attempt to outdo outpace <coughs> Allah and his messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam or place ourselves before them in any way we are to maintain not just respect but reverence for the Prophet ﷺ, both in his presence and in his absence. This was imperative for the companions during his lifetime and it's mandatory for the entire Ummah after he left this world. Moving on from the position of Allah and his Messenger ﷺ, Allah then speaks of certain social obligations, all of which fits into the theme of this surah, which is a very just, equal, fair and noble society, whose evidence we have already seen in the city of Medina at the time of the Prophet And in order to achieve such a society, there are many things that need to be done. And one of them is to avoid <clears throat> acting on rumours and to ensure that facts are upheld and to always ascertain the truth and verify the facts, especially when one needs to come to a decision or a judgment. Following on from these topics, one of the, the one other thing which we need to do in order to 
uphold a just and egalitarian society is to ensure that there is unity and harmony. And justice, justice is upheld. And that's what the previous verse spoke about. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, And this is the beginning of the previous verse, that if two groups of believers fight between themselves, then reconcile them. And then there are many things that we learnt in the course of that discussion. Following on from there, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now says at the beginning of the 10th verse, إِنَّمَا الْمُؤْمِنُونَ إِخْوَةِ فَأَصْلِحُوا بَيْنَ أَخَوَيْكُمْ That the believers are brothers. Therefore, reconcile your two brothers. وَاتَّقُوا اللَّهَ لَعَلَّكُمْ تُرْحَمُونَ And be wary of Allah. Perhaps you may receive mercy. <clears throat> so this is a follow-on from the previous verse in which Allah mentions that if believers fight amongst themselves, then make sure you reconcile them. And you do not just stand aloof, spectating. Rather, one has to go out of one's way to bring about peace. And that can only be brought about by speaking the truth, standing up for the truth, being just, upholding justice. And all of this is necessary in order to bring about peace and reconciliation. And that must be done because despite their quarrels, despite their wrangling, despite their conflict, believers are but brothers. And therefore, you must reconcile. And that's what this verse, as a continuation of the previous verse, speaks of. The brotherhood of the believers. The believers are but brothers. Therefore, reconcile, you, reconcile your two brothers. The Prophet has described the Ummah as a family in many ways. In fact, the Prophet ﷺ, he described the believers, the rest of the Ummah who come after him, as his brothers. He once said to the Sahaba, I wish I could have met my brothers. So the Sahaba said to him, Ya Rasulullah, are we not your brothers? So the Prophet said, You are my companions. My brothers are those who have not yet seen me, but will come after me and believe in me. So the Prophet ﷺ gave the ummah the honor of being called his, he called us his brothers, his ikhwan. And to the extent of telling the sahaba anhum, when they, when they objected or when they, not object in that manner, but they were fearful that, uh, do we lose out on that brotherhood of the Prophet ﷺ? So he said, you are my companions. My brothers are those who have not yet seen me, but they will come after me and believe in me. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala calls the Prophet ﷺ's wives the mothers of the believers. So the ummah is a family. And like any family, no family is perfect. 
And it's impossible for a human being to always agree, always be agreeable, amenable with another human being. It's impossible. You will always end up upsetting someone. And especially if you are true to yourself. If a person is true to themselves, and that's just to themselves, they will inevitably upset others. And that's only if they are true to themselves. Anyone who is true to Allah will end up upsetting most people. So... Unity in that sense, oneness, in that way, is an impossibility. And so we are reminded that just like families, they have their inner wranglings, their rivalries, their squabbles, their problems, even their fights and their arguments... They remain family. And all members of the family actually recognise that. And their problems, their behaviour towards each other, their issues and their disputes, never negate their filial relationship and their brotherhood and sisterhood. Similarly, the Ummah is a family. It's not perfect. Ultimately, we're human beings. And why is it that whenever we have problems, we ascribe them to the Ummah and to Islam? But whenever there is any good, we attribute that to the individual or to humanity. Let's be consistent. Being human beings... We share all the problems that other human beings have. Rivalry, squabbles, conflicts, disagreements, fights. And yet, as Muslims, being a family, being an ummah, we've been taught that despite all of these problems, we should remain an ummah, we should remain Ikhwan, brothers and sisters, we should remain as one family. And all our problems do not negate our brotherhood, our ukhuwa, to the extent, and I'll give you a perfect example of that. In the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks of qisas, the law of retribution. And this is in the context of murder. That whoever intentionally commits murder, not the equivalent of manslaughter, but an intentional act of murder. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks of bisas, the law of retribution. A life for a life. And that was the law 
in most societies at the time. It was a law amongst the Arabs, even before the arrival of Islam. And after Islam, that practice continued. Even in that context, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says something, which is, فَمَنْ عُفِيَ لَهُ مِنْ أَخِيهِ شَيْءٍ فَاتِّبَاعٌ بِالْمَعْرُوفِ وَأَدَاءٌ إِلَيْهِ بِإِحْسَانٌ ذَلِكَ تَخْفِيفٌ مِّنْ رَبِّكُمْ وَرَحْمَةٌ that whoever is forgiven, so if someone intentionally kills another, then there is a law of retribution. But having mentioned that law, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, that's not an obligation, that doesn't have to be followed. Rather, a far better option is to forgive. And amongst the Arabs, there was a custom of accepting blood money, adiyah in order to pacify and satisfy different family members, tribal members, clan members, and for them to lay down arms and ensure that there is no act of retaliation. That was a truce. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in that context, speaking of forgiveness, speaking of a truce, speaking of the waiving of the right of retaliation on the part of the deceased or the killed individual's family, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Whoever has anything forgiven about his brother. Now, there is a difference of opinion as to who the brother is being referred to here. According to some scholars and commentators, the brother being referred to is the one who is killed. And... According to other commentators, the brother being referred to is the killer and the murderer himself. But regardless, he has no bearing ultimately on the theme of the verse, which is that even in the context of murder, whether the person being referred to is the one who is killed or it's the killer, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes him as a brother to the other. Even in the context of retaliation and retribution and the law of Qisas, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, if anything is forgiven from his brother or in relation to his brother. To that degree that the act of murder and killing and taking someone's life still does not negate that person being a brother. Subhanallah. One may curse the killer. One may wish damnation, eternal damnation for him, both in this world and in the hereafter. But despite all that strength of feeling, despite all that rage and anger, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in the context of qatl and qisas, of murder and retribution, Allah still <coughs> describes one as being the brother of the other. Whether it's the killed being the brother of the killer, or the killer being the brother of the family of the deceased, regardless. The killer and the killed and their respective families remain part of a wider family, and they remain brothers. And so the verse here, 
that despite their quarrels, despite their fighting, in fact, even if they take up arms against each other, as we discussed in the previous verse, Mu'mineen and Mu'minun are but brothers amongst themselves. Therefore, reconcile your brothers. فَأَصْلِحُوا بَيْنَا خَوَيْكُمْ Sayyidina Ya'qub was a prophet of Allah. One of his sons was his most beloved Yusuf Son was destined to be a prophet. Father was a great prophet. And yet, did they not have huge problems in the family? To the extent that the father who was a prophet of Allah, his own sons plotted against him and their brother. And to a great degree, to such an extent that the father was, even though he was a messenger of Allah, he was helpless. And father had to end up saying to his sons, فَصَبْرٌ جَمِيلٌ اللَّهُ مُسْتَعَانُ عَلَى مَا تَصِفُونَ That patience is better and only Allah's help and assistance are sought over what you say. That's how helpless a father became. And he was no ordinary father. He was a messenger of Allah. So despite all their issues, I mean, they took Yusuf salam, threw him into a well, and then went and retrieved him later and sold him. They wanted to dispose of him. They plotted to kill him initially. Then they disposed of him. Then they retrieved him and sold him into slavery. Well, eventually they knew that he would be sold into slavery. And they did sell him themselves. And he was a prophet of Allah. He was destined to be a prophet of Allah. And their father was a prophet of Allah. Huge, immense problems. Yet eventually, in the end, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brought all of them together. And the day came when Yusuf السلام, raised his parents on the throne. He raised his parents upon the, to the throne. And his brothers fell into prostration before him. And Yusuf السلام, turned to his father in later years and said to him, O oh my father, Ya abati hadha ta'wilu ru'yai min qabl. This is the fulfillment of the interpretation, or that this is a fulfillment of my dream of before, of your, when he was a child. So that family went through so much, but they remained a family. And so it is with the Ummah of Islam. No family is perfect, and the family of the believers is not perfect. But despite everything, they remain a family. And they should recognize themselves as such. And that's why in one hadith related by Imam Bukhari and Imam Muslim, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, Mathalul mu'mineen, the example, the parable, the similitude of the believers. Fi tawaddihim wa tarahumihim wa ta'atufihim. In their mutual love. The parable, the similitude, the, the example of the, of the believers. In their mutual love in their mutual affection and mercy, and in their mutual sympathy. Kamathal al-jasad is like the example of a body. When one limb of that body falls ill or feels pain, the entire body 
responds to the pain of that one limb with sleeplessness and fever. And this hadith tells us something amazing, which is the body responds to the pain of one limb with sleeplessness and with fever. What we learn, and as modern medicine proves, is that just like sleeplessness is not so much a condition in itself as a symptom of, a, of an underlying or underlying conditions. Similarly, fever is not so much a condition itself, rather fever is the body's reaction. And that's what we've learned recently, that the fever is a body's reaction. Prophet ﷺ told us 14 centuries ago that when one part of the body feels pain or suffers an illness, the entire body responds to that one limb's pain and discomfort with its own sleeplessness and with fever. So that's the example of the body of the believers. If Despite their squabbles and their problems, if one part of that body of the ummah suffers, then the rest should feel the pain. And not just feel the pain, but respond with concern, with sleeplessness, with their own fever. That's the body of the ummah. So, إِنَّمَا الْمُؤْمِنُونَ ikhwa. Believers are but brothers amongst themselves. And therefore reconcile your two warring, fighting, quarrelling brothers. There will always be problems. There were problems during the time of the Prophet Sahaba argued. They fought with each other. And there were many occasions. Despite the Prophet what did he do? He always intervened. He went out of his way. One of those occasions, rare occasions, when the Prophet was in the city of Medina, but wasn't present at the time of the beginning of Salah in his own masjid, even though he was in the city, was when he learnt of a quarrel between two groups. So the Prophet went out of his way merely to reconcile the two quarrelling parties and bring about peace between them. He always involved himself. And this is what a believer does. He does not stand by, he does not spectate. One of the reasons is, if there is an issue in the family between two siblings, the rest of the family can't just stand by Ignore it. Act hypocritical. And assume or live under the false hope that it will not come back to bite them or affect them. One day it will affect them. It will come back to bite them. If they do not resolve that problem at the outset, if they do not nip it in the bud. Similarly, with the wider body of the ummah, if there are problems in part of the ummah, the others can't just shut their eyes, turn their backs, ignore the issue, and pretend that there is no problem. 
it will affect them later. And there's that beautiful hadith by Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, related by Imam Bukhari and others. Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam spoke of that ship. Although the example is to do with those who violate the limits of Allah and others who see them, who are aware of them, violating the limits of Allah and yet stand by and do nothing to prevent them. So the Prophet ﷺ gives that example that they are the example of a group of people who violate the limits of Allah and the others in relation to them is like a group of people who travel on a ship. And this is over a river. And then they draw lots as to who will occupy the lower deck and who will occupy the upper deck. So some of them, they gain their seats below. The others, they gain their, they gain their seats above. Now whilst they are travelling, in need of fresh water, the ones who are on the upper deck, instead of drawing water overboard, and this is obvious that they're travelling on a river where it's fresh water rather than the sea, they, when they draw, instead of drawing water, the ones below, instead of drawing water by climbing upstairs to the upper deck and drawing water overboard, they say, we are constantly disturbing the ones above. So why don't we just pierce holes in the bottom of the ship and draw water from beneath? So the Prophet ﷺ describes it beautifully. Now we may laugh at this. That is such an absurd, uh, such an absurd suggestion. That the ones on the lower deck bore holes, drill holes, and try to draw water from directly from beneath them. Scuttling the ship. Now, it's, to us, it seems so absurd and laughable. And yet, the wisdom of the words of Rasulullah is amazing because it perfectly describes our situation. Prophet says, If the ones above let the ones below continue with their plan, they will all perish, the ones above and below. And if they stop them, stay their hand, seize their hand, the words of the hadith are, if they seize their hands, then they will all survive. Now we may laugh at such a suggestion that so stupidly they want to draw water from below by piercing the boat, But that perfectly describes our situation. The behaviour of some of us is suicidal, is damaging, it scuttles the ship of the Ummah. It damages not just us, but everyone around us. And yet, many of us think that these problems won't affect us in any way. Not immediately, but
But ultimately, just as the Prophet says, if we allow problems to fester and to continue, then there will come a time when these problems will affect us to the degree that we will all perish. And if we stop them, then not only will they survive, we will survive. And this hadith of Rasulullah the parable which he has given, these are two parables. One is a parable of the body, the ummah being a body. And the other parable is of the ummah being like a group of people who are traveling on a ship. Both parables are valid for the Sahaba عنهم, then, and they are valid for the Ummah now. And that parable of the ship can be used to describe so many different situations. So when it comes to conflict, problems, in the family of the Ummah, we can't ignore them. We must sincerely involve ourselves and bring about peace and reconciliation. For if we do not, then there will come a time when these conflicts, when these disputes, when these problems will affect us. Of course, there are ways, there are etiquettes, there are methods, there are manners. There is a procedure. There are all of these things to consider when trying to bring about peace and reconciliation, and it must be done with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and under the guidance and leadership of the scholars, the ulama, the elders, the pious, and the experts. Not anybody can just rush in. But we must feel the concern. We must feel the concern. Speaking of brotherhood, the Prophet wasallam, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes the believers as brothers. And the Prophet ﷺ has repeatedly described the Prophet ﷺ as brothers in, in the hadith, and inshallah I'll speak about that immediately after salah. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. As I was saying before salah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has spoken about brotherhood in this verse and in other verses. And the Prophet ﷺ himself has mentioned brotherhood repeatedly in that famous hadith related by Imam Bukhari, Imam Muslim Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says al-Muslim akhu al-Muslim la yadlimuhu wa la yuslimuhu wa man kana fi hajati akhih kana Allahu fi hajati wa man farraja an muslimin kurbatan farraja Allahu anhu kurbatan min kurbati yawm al-qiyamah wa man satara musliman satarahu Allahu yawm al-qiyamah Prophet said the Muslim is the brother of a Muslim. He does not wrong him, nor does he hand him over, meaning he doesn't abandon him. And whoever is preoccupied in fulfilling the need of his brother, he, his brother, Allah remains occupied in fulfilling his need. And whoever removes a suffering, from a Muslim, Allah will remove a suffering from the sufferings of the day of resurrection from him. And whoever conceals the faults of a Muslim, Allah will conceal his faults on the day of resurrection. So this is one famous hadith. The Muslim is the brother of a Muslim. And he does many things. He does not wrong him. 
nor does he abandon him. In another hadith, in another narration of the same hadith related by Imam Tirmidhi, he does not betray him, meaning he does not deceive him, nor does he lie to him. And yet in another one, nor does he abandon him, nor does he hold him in contempt. So this is the way a Muslim treats another Muslim like a brother. And the hadith continues, whoever remains preoccupied in fulfilling the need of his brother, Allah remains occupied in fulfilling his need. And whoever removes a calamity, a suffering from a Muslim, and in one narration of the same hadith, not just a Muslim, whoever removes a suffering from his brother, Allah will remove one of the sufferings and the calamities of the day of resurrection from him. So the whole hadith speaks about khuwa, brotherhood. And again, there are many of that hadith. Anas ibn Malik radiyallahu anhu relates in a hadith recorded by Imam Bukhari, Imam Muslim in their sahih. لا يؤمن أحدكم حتى يحب لأخيه ما يحب لنفسه One of you cannot become a true believer until he desires for his brother that which he desires for himself. Brother, again, brother. And the hadith which I mentioned last week. إِيَّاكُمْ وَالظَّنَّ فَإِنَّ الظَّنَّ أَكْذَبُ الْحَدِيثِ Beware of suspicion. Beware of conjecture, speculation. For conjecture is the greatest lie. وَلَا تَحَسِّسُوا And do not eavesdrop on one another. وَلَا تَجَسِّسُوا And do not investigate for each other's faults and spy on each other. وَلَا تَنَاجَشُوا And do not outbid one another with the intention of harming each other. وَلَا تَحَاسَدُوا And do not be envious of each other. وَلَا تَبَاغَضُوا And do not hate each other. وَلَا تَدَابَرُوا And do not turn your backs to each other. وَكُونُوا عِبَادَ اللَّهِ إِخْوَانًا And be the servants of Allah as brothers. Hadith after hadith speaks about brotherhood. Brotherhood. <coughs> In one hadith later by Imam Muslim in his Sahih, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, A man left his home and went to visit a brother in another village or city. On the way, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent an angel who met him on the path. So he stopped him and he said, Whither? So he said, I'm going to meet a brother of mine. Not a blood brother, but a brother in faith. So the angel asked him, that, Do you owe him any favour because of which you are travelling specifically to meet him, to visit him? So he said, No, I don't owe him any favour. I am travelling to see him only because I love him for the sake of Allah. So the angel said to him, that, No, that I am a messenger from Allah to you to convey to you that just as you have loved him, Allah loves you. And Imam Tirmidhi rahmatullahi relates a hadith in a similar line to this hadith in which he says, in which he relates that the Prophet said, 
whoever visits a brother of his, again, a brother in faith, whoever visits a brother of his, it's actually said to him, it's announced to him, that may you be pure, may your walking be good and pure, and may you occupy a seat in Jannah. That's just for the sake of visiting a brother. Ziyarah, for the sake of Allah meeting a brother. Small, small things in a hadith Rasulullah related by from Abu Dhar an, Prophet says, Tabasumk fi wajhi akhik, like a sadaqa, that you're smiling in the face of your brother is an act of sadaqah and charity for you. Just your smiling. And in another hadith, again related by Abu Dhar radiallahu that you meet your brother with a pleasant face is an act of sadaqah and charity for you. Meeting your brother with a pleasant face, smiling in the face of your brother. All of the hadith words are brother, brother, brother. And as I mentioned before, the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, they had the spirit of brotherhood without the name and the title. We have the name and the title, but we lack that true spirit of brotherhood. To us, brother has become a very common term, brother fulana, sister fulana. And yet, is that brotherhood truly realized? The Sahaba radiallahu anhum realized this. And the Prophet ﷺ united them with the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's what the beauty of Islamic teaching can achieve. The Arabs in Medina, Aws and Khazraj, were bitter sworn enemies of each other. And Allah refers to that in the Quran, saying, And hold on, all of you, hold on fast to the rope of Allah. And do not differ. وَذْكُرُوا نِعْمَةَ اللَّهِ عَلَيْكُمْ إِذْ كُنْتُمْ And remember Allah's favour to you when you were enemies. فَأَلَّفَ بَيْنَ قُلُوبِكُمْ And he brought about harmony between your hearts. فَأَصْبَحْتُمْ بِنِعْمَتِهِ إِخْوَانَا And so through Allah's blessing you became brothers. Even though وَكُنْتُمْ عَلَى شَفَى حُفْرَةٍ مِّنَ النَّارِ even though before this, before you becoming brothers, you were at the edge of the fire, of the pit of the fire. You were at the edge of the pit of the fire. And Allah saved you from it. And indeed, that's how the Aws and Khazraj were. For generations, according to some reports, there was an ongoing war between the two tribes of Aws and Khazraj for over 120 years. It continued for many generations. And that led all the way till the coming of the Prophet ﷺ. And there were many who were quick to exploit that history of conflict. 120 years of warfare between two, the two major and principal tribes of Medina. People were quick to stoke that. And Allah reminds them because of that don't let anyone exploit this history between you. And do not ever return to that. 
And remember Allah's favour to you. That at one time you were bitter enemies, but on you were at the edge of the pit of fire, but Allah saved you. And how did Allah save them? How did Allah reconcile them? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala again says in another verse about the Prophet sallallahu that Allah reconciled their hearts. لو أنفقت ما في الأرض جميعا ما ألفت بين قلوبهم ولكن الله ألف بينهم. If you, O Messenger of Allah, had spent all the wealth of the world, you would have never brought about reconciliation and harmony between their hearts. Rather, it was Allah who brought about harmony between their hearts. Money cannot buy love. Money cannot buy brotherhood. Only the Sunnah of the Messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam and the Sunnah of Allah. The law of Allah, the method of Allah, the deen of Allah can bring about that kind of brotherhood for free. And indeed that's how the Sahaba radiallahu anhum were. Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam gathered them immediately after the hijrah. And he made the muhajirun brothers of the Ansar and they lived like brothers. Through, prior to this, the Arabs only believed in relationships of clan, family and tribe. And the Prophet ﷺ abolished all of those ties and replaced those ties with the one single bond of Islam. And that bond was far greater, far stronger than any tie of family. Musa ibn Umayr radiallahu anhu Prophet sent him to Medina sometime before he did Hijrah and the other Sahaba did Hijrah and he would teach the others Quran. And Musa ibn Umayr was a fashionable, trend-setting young man of the Quraysh. He was handsome, well-dressed. It's said that he his clothes, his daily suits, he, was, he came from a rich family, his daily suits ran into the hundreds of dirhams. And the people of Medina would often say, just by sniffing the air, that Musa ibn Umayr has passed by here, because he was always covered in fragrance. And yet that same Sahabi, radiallahu anhu, did hijrah, he abandoned everything. And in the end, that same young Sahabi radiallahu he was buried with Hamza radiallahu and when it came to bury him, when they sought, uh, after Uhud, when they sought to cover his feet, his head would remain exposed. When they sought to cover his head, his feet would remain exposed. They could not find a large enough shroud for him. That same Musa ibn Umayr radiallahu After the battle of Badr, his brother, his own blood brother, was in the ranks of the captives. So he said to the guard, he said, tie him well, because his mother is wealthy, she will pay a huge ransom for him. So Musa ibn Umayr anhu's brother looked at him and said, are you not my brother? Am I not your brother? So Musa ibn Umayr radiallahu anhu turned to the captor and said, he is my brother. The only lesson I wish to draw from this is how 
the Prophet single-handedly abolished all the earlier ties and relationships and replaced them with a bond that proved to be far greater than the centuries-old tradition of family ties. That's how the Sahaba were. They, Salim, was a, was a former slave of Abu Hudayfah. Abu Hudayfah freed him. After he freed him, he came from a family of the Quraysh, the chieftains of the Quraysh. He was the, Salim was a slave of Abu Hudayfah. Abu Hudayfah came from a grand family of the Quraysh, the leading one of the most, one of the richest, wealthiest, prestigious, and most noble families of the Quraysh, political leaders. Not only did he free his slave, but he said, I wish to make him my brother. I make him my brother. And the two of them, Salim radiallahu anhu, and Abu Hudayfah radiallahu anhu, one was a pauper, the other was a prince. One was dressed simply, the other was dressed as a noble rich, as a nobleman of the Quraysh. The two would eat together, they'd eat the same food, they dressed the same. They walked together, they lived together. Allahu Akbar, that brotherhood lasted all the way from the time that Salim radiallahu an, uh, and Abu Hudayfa embraced Islam in Mecca all the way through the years of Medina, till they actually passed away together and were martyred in Yamama. And when they were martyred in the rebellion after the time of the Prophet ﷺ, the Sahaba anhum, when they went to search for the bodies and buried them, they discovered that these two brothers, one a prince, the other a pauper, one a former slave, the other the master, they act like brothers, dressed like brothers, lived like brothers, and they actually died right next to each other. And they were buried, to, they were buried together. That was the beauty of the teaching of Rasulullah That he made a slave the brother of a prince and a master. And despite all that former gap between them, that bond of brotherhood proved to be unbreakable. This is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam united the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. And when Allah, imagine Allah describes them as brothers. فَأَسْبَحْتُمْ بِنِعْمَتِهِ إِخْوَانًا Allah boasts of the brotherhood of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum through his blessing. So one can just imagine what kind of brothers they were when Allah declares them to be brothers through his blessing. And how was that achieved? Not through wealth. As Allah says to the Prophet ﷺ, if you were to spend all the wealth of the world, you would still not unite their hearts. Money cannot buy love. Money cannot buy brotherhood. It cannot. The sunnah of Rasulullah ﷺ, the teachings of the Qur'an can. And what are those teachings? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the next few in the next verses of Surah Al-Hujarat mentions many of those pillars that erect the edifice of brotherhood in Islam. And inshallah we'll continue with those in the next few weeks and after Ramadan. 
وصلى الله وسلم على عبده ورسوله نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك نشهد أن لا إله إلا أنت نستغفرك ونتوب إليك